Welcome to The Way the World Works, where the trusted team behind the Tuttle Twins books tackles current events, hot topics, and fun ideas to help your family find clarity in a world full of confusion. Hi, Brittany. Hi, Connor. So you and I are probably grinning uh, pretty big right now. We're yeah. very excited to have a special guest with us today. We've talked about him before because our Tuttle Twins readers who pay close attention know that he's kind of one of the the featured characters or an inspiration for one of the characters in the Tuttle Twins and the Golden Rule. Uh, we're very excited to welcome Dr. Ron Paul to the show. Dr. Paul, thanks for being here and joining us. Very good. Brittany and Connor, I'm glad to be with you today. We are so, so glad to have you. <laughs> the, the world is kind of crazy right now. And uh, so we thought it'd be great to have you on. A lot of people look up to you and uh, wanted to, to kind of get your thoughts. Maybe let me start with with this question. Um, you've been through a lot, obviously, over the decades. You've seen a lot. The government has ebbed and flowed with new programs and measures and policies. Um, how do you feel about the state of the world today? Do you see it as kind of cyclical that, you know, it's kind of bad and then it'll, it'll go down? Do you see it as just kind of constantly increasing? As you, from your perch, observe what's happening, what, what thoughts go through Dr. Paul's head? Well, I think that's a big question, and people are trying to figure out because it implies where were we, where were we come from, where are we today, and where might we be going? And uh, I think we're in bad shape. I think we have a, a lot of problems to solve. I see it so often in terms of what happens when governments or individuals make mistakes. Individuals and families and different people, business people can make mistakes. They might borrow too much money and spend too much money. And if they borrow too much money and if somebody gives it to them for uh, low interest rates, they might do dumb things. Well, we as a country have been living that way. We've been living with living beyond our means. We live on borrowed money. Most people understand what it means that if you're living on borrowed money, it's not really uh, earned money, but you can feel rich or look rich, and it looks like a fake. And I think that's what we're facing. Hmm. I think that is not that's not brand new. That's been around for centuries. But I think the bubble, the uh, number of people who have done this, and the size of the not only our country, but the world, uh, the so-called bubble is probably bigger than ever. So the problem is very, very serious. But the uh, ideas that caused it and what we have to do, it's well known. And I think there's reason to believe that we can solve these problems if we get more people to understand what the problems are. So that's that's a great point. And I wanted to ask, so for our listeners who are a little bit younger, you know, maybe eight to 12 years old, how do we get them excited? How do we get younger kids interested? Because they're the ones that are going to have to take over for us, you know, and, and make sure that, that liberty stays on. So what, what, what can we, how can we get them excited? Well, you know, if uh, if they've been exposed to some of the mistakes being made here in the last six months, uh, it might get their attention because they certainly got the attention of some of my grandkids because, mm. you know, they had to leave school and they uh, they, they got involved. They get, didn't get to do their sports and there were a lot of restrictions. Uh, we're a church going uh, family. Uh, they haven't really been able to go to church. And why, why, why? And uh, that's an opening to... Uh, what the problems are. And of course, if they just watch the television, they think, oh, they're telling us this is the reason uh, that this is happening, but they need to hear the truth. So I think this is an opening of uh, uh, for us to talk to young people, because uh, right now uh, it's, it's especially important for them to understand, because if you think about uh, the 
the uh, records uh, that are coming out now and the assessments of people who have been under the gun of a lockdown and they can't do things and stay at home and, and hear things where, oh, if you do this, you're going to die from an infection. And uh, so it's a big job for parents right now to try to explain to them, to reassure them and, and uh, not, not try to get the fear out of them because there's reason and uh, there's been kids uh, that get upset about this because they don't understand it. That's why I think the work that, uh, Connor, that you're doing is very helpful because those young kids can read this and sort of explain these issues. So it's understanding of the issues. If you don't understand it and just think that this is just falling from the sky and the devil's going to get us and the world's going to get an end, that's pretty bad. And right now there are predictions that young people are susceptible to this. So we do have a job on our hands and all parents and all people who care about the younger generation has to do whatever they can to explain what what is happening. I, I think that's uh, that's very spot on with our efforts with this podcast in particular, also the, the Tuttle Twins more broadly. We, we named this podcast The Way the World Works, right? Because learning about economics, learning about politics, we're trying to understand human behavior, human action, as Ludwig von Mises called it. Our, our listeners will probably know that that was the book that we based our most recent Tuttle Twins book off of, The Tuttle Twins and the Messed Up Market. And uh, it, it's funny, Dr. Paul, over the years, probably one of the more common questions that we get about the Tuttle Twins books is, what age range are they for? And my running joke has always been, oh, they're for kids aged like 5 to 11 and then congressmen <laughs> because they need to learn this information as well. You look at some of the people in Congress right now, I'm sure you saw it with your colleagues as well. The, the level of economic understanding is just horribly low. So I know your story with why you first decided to run for Congress had something to do with economics. Can you share what brought you into Congress in the first place? Yeah, it was a very practical matter because I had been introduced to free enterprise and free markets. Uh, and uh, that was in the 1960s as I was going through college and medical school. It was sort of a hobby on my part to read about a different explanation because I had been taught some things that just didn't make sense. And, uh, and then uh, they made some predictions in the 1960s that what they're doing is they got rid of the gold standard and the gold standard is a moral issue. And I think young kids can understand this. I've always claimed that I can take uh, any 12-year-old kid or younger and explain to them why monopoly money is different than a gold coin and why it's a moral issue. So this is a, this is something that uh, came about in 1971 because the predictions made by the people I respected to explain the economy uh, as I see it, uh, it finally came down. We went bankrupt. We had promised the world that uh, our dollar would be as good as gold. So it was a, it was a contract and uh, they tried to trusted us. And yet in 1933, the first thing Roosevelt did was he took the gold from the American people. In 1971, Nixon took the gold from all the foreigners who were supposed to be able to turn their dollars in and see the gold. And this seemed like it made, made a lot of sense. So it is this issue that got my interest up. But uh, now, and we've been drifting along 
with this bankruptcy and why it's so important for young people to realize this is debt always is paid for one way or the other. If a, if a family or a company just borrows money and spends too much, eventually the banker comes and say, hey, I'm not going to loan you any more money. Right. You have to go through bankruptcy. Countries have to do that now also. But right now, of course, we and everybody else in the world when they when they are going bankrupt, they just print more money, and that is the source of so many problems that we have today. You can't get out of this problem by just printing more money and running up debt, because eventually the rules are the economic laws of nature say that uh, you will have a bankruptcy, and that's what we're witnessing now. Is our country is bankrupt morally and financially? And we should understand that or we can't solve our problems. I think one thing our listeners know a lot about is the Federal Reserve. In fact, Tettle Twins and The Creature from Jekyll Island is, you know, one of the most popular books. And that I think they're all pretty aware of how dangerous that can be. But we also wanted to ask. So you're in, you were in Congress for a very long time. A lot of uh, people are told that one person cannot make a difference. Now, Connor and I know that's not true because we're both sitting here right here today because of you. So I'd like to know, what, what do you think about that? Do you think one person can make a difference with as crazy as the world is today? It depends on what the goals are. Uh, I was one person. I think I went into Congress with different attitudes. And if you measure me and my uh, opponents measure it by, well, how many bills did you get passed? And uh, what did you do this? You never had one single bill passed. Of course, we had uh, a lot of attention given about uh, the Federal Reserve. So uh, if you measure it in the conventional way, uh, if one person is off by himself, he's a total failure. But if the goal is not so much political power, but the goal is to change people's minds and to change people's attitudes. That's a, that's a different story. I always had a personal desire, and I always wanted to be uh, a quiet, determined effort uh, to change people's minds. And that, to me, was different. And I figured I'll do it for my uh, self, uh, self-esteem, my feeling about myself, that I wouldn't do it because I really didn't expect to win to go to Congress. I didn't expect to really accomplish very much, and I didn't accomplish very much in the conventional way, but I wanted to have influence where people would say, look, he talked about why we don't need these wars. He talked about why we should have honest money, why we should balance our budget, and why we should have uh, a moral government, and uh, and I never figured. Well, I don't know if anybody's listening or not. I didn't see any changes. <laughs> but then later on, you know, when I ran for president, uh, the question would ask be asked, and they say, "Yeah, I understand what you're talking about, uh, Ron. But what well, what do you do? What what should I do?" They'd ask me, and I'd be sort of uh, uh, facetious. I say, "Well, do whatever you want to do." And Connor must have been listening because he went and did something, and I wouldn't have had the uh, ability to tell him to do or how to do what he's done. That's what I think is fantastic. Everybody has a role. I felt my responsibility was to expose the problems and deliver it to a point where young people, elderly people, people who have been brainwashed and everything else understand it and then want to do something about it. Because then you have a moral responsibility. I always made the argument that if you come to the conclusion and you're on the side of liberty and moral justification for government, then you have a moral obligation to do your share. So that means that, uh, yes, you should 
you do you should participate and everybody should do it because you will be in a minority you know it sounds great connor you're being very successful but we have millions and millions of people out there and the crowds and the you know the uh, mainstream people they always follow leaders and that's mm-hmm. what that's what is necessary and leaders who will lead to its correct ideas and uh, that is why uh, I've been such a supporter uh, Connor of your operation because you're talking about ideas and morality and that is what we need so uh, but in Congress you don't run into many people and one thing that uh, an idea that I endorsed early on was uh, you you can't badger people. You can't grab another Congress and say, why are you doing that? And then yell and scream and lecture them. I know I just sort of avoided that totally and completely. And uh, I was always taught that uh, if your ideas are worth anything, uh, people will come. They'll come and seek you out. And I said, well, I can't expect much of that to happen. But uh, lo and behold, it did happen more than I ever expected. But uh, I had a few congressmen who would see me voting all by myself. They would come over and sit down beside me. And was they were very honest and said, why do you do this? And they'd want an explanation. But most of them were locked in on bad economic policies and no understanding of why we shouldn't be in debt and why we shouldn't be fighting these wars. And uh, they just marched along because that's what they learned in school. So it's not like they're all bad people in Congress. It's that they've all been exposed, you know, to bad ideas in government schools. And that is why it's so important to discover. And I, it took me a while to discover that there was something because we didn't have too many organizations back in the 50s and the 60s. You had to go searching. You didn't have the Internet and you mm-hmm. didn't have a, any, hardly any professors. But now... This is why I lean toward optimism, because there's a lot more uh, people now looking and, and seeking things, even though we're facing the biggest crisis ever. But I say the crisis should be used as a tool to find out if people are interested and why we on our side of this argument, why we believe this is true. They will look to it because that's when the answer will come. If uh, if if we can point out some economic uh, truths, you know, like paper money is bad and uh, that's part of the Federal Reserve System. And that honest money, which is a biblical issue, is honest weights and measures is so, so sound. If that is uh, an answer, why we should be able to win that argument. I've always wondered why haven't we as conservatives and libertarians done a lot better job because I believe that our answers are so, so fantastic and they're not hard to understand. Uh, and I say, well, they're getting a free lunch. Everything's for free. And uh, we can just hard to say no to that. Yep. (laughs) Right right now we're not, we're not rich enough anymore. So that's why they have to look to us for some answers. Dr. Paul, I want to ask you, uh, you brought up kind of being anti-war. A lot of your messages in Congress, especially after nine 11, uh, but even before uh, were about non-intervention, not uh, getting involved in other people's business. Of course, you were kind of the the featured character in the Tuttle Twins and the Golden Rule, talking about the non-aggression principle, the Golden Rule. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, I don't think I've ever had occasion to ask you this, but one of the most depressing things of of your presidential campaigns that I experienced was watching the debate in South Carolina when you're on stage and you made the argument about the Golden Rule applying not just to individuals and how we treat our literal neighbor, 
but also to nations, countries, governments, and how uh, we treat other people. We will link um, on the show notes page for today. So head to tuttletwins.com slash podcast. We will link to that debate for those who haven't seen it. Um, just by way of summary, and then Dr. Paul, I'd, I'd love to get kind of your reminiscing and your thoughts about that experience. Here you are in South Carolina, very, I would say, evangelical, um, heavy or dominant uh, audience, Republican audience. It's the Republican debate. Uh, you make the case, the biblical case for the golden rule, um, applying it. How would we like if China, you said, came and invaded our country? We wouldn't like it. So why should we do it to other countries? And you were round, soundly uh, booed by the audience for making the case of the golden rule as it applies to foreign policy. Share with us, if you would, what that, ex for you, a very moral, religious man, uh, making that argument and seeing that type of response. What what was your feeling when that happened or in the years since as you've had time to reflect on it? Well, it was, it was disappointing, but not totally surprising because I thought that was one of the shortcomings of some people who believe that they have a sound uh, Christian principles that they follow, and I think they come up short uh, because uh, they, they, they will fall into the trap of saying that I'm, if I don't support my government, then I'm unpatriotic, and I have to be patriotic, and I have to support these principles. But uh, I think that... Uh, it, it was it was discouraging because it happened more than once. Uh, the South Carolina thing is what was remembered the most, but this was uh, this was uh, this shows uh, where we are. But it also brings out people. Uh, some people never even thought of it, you know, and, mm -hmm. and then they changed their mind. But uh, I I think that, that generally speaking, and it's terrible to make generalization, there's a lot of conservatives, uh, especially, and if and, and, and they may be evangelicals, they may not be, but they think that's the proper position. But I cannot read that uh, coming from Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so this was astounding to me, but they rationalize it and they're influenced by other things and they, they're influenced by maybe a line in the Bible someplace where we're supposed to go out and do these things. But uh, I I just didn't, didn't accept that. So I guess what uh, really shocked me more than anything, not that that happened, but that uh, in spite of the booing, that you still bring it up how many 10 years ago you know mm -hmm. it's been a while ago it's been a while yeah <laughs> so somebody paid a little bit of attention and that's the neat thing about talking uh the same way to everybody uh and t telling the same story because in time uh people will want to hear the truth uh, but it's sort of appealing to the remnant. I think I think there's always a remnant out there. You don't ever uh, expect everything spiritually or politically speaking about liberty will be killed. It won't be. Sometimes, uh, you know, trials and tribulations like we're facing today may elicit more enthusiasm, you know, for the uh, for the uh, uh, for, for the people, the remnant and the remnant will grow and become mm. a dominant theme. And uh, that's what I think our job is, is try mm. to influence people in the direction that we think is right. 
I know what Albert, is it Albert J. Nock, I think, wrote about The Remnant. That's always been one of my, my favorite pieces of work from him. It's beautiful. But uh, I also wanted to ask you about, you've been a big champion of homeschool or, or even just school freedom, education freedom in general. I wanted to ask you how you see that going, especially now with COVID as everyone's kind of been forced to homeschool. Maybe this has been kind of a positive aspect in that realm. But, you know, what are your thoughts on homeschooling? Where is it going? Is it growing? Well, since I'm not a, an endorser of government schools, <laughs> you know, I like private schools. I like church schools. I like homeschooling. I think, uh, you know, we know about a separation of church and state. I think we should have a separation of, uh, of, um, of uh, the church uh, or of uh, education and the state. Matter of fact, lately, I want to separate medicine from the state when I look at some <laughs> of the things going on with, with the virus and all the dumb things about lockdown. So no, the government should have a lot less power. And I think that's how they spread this message. And I think that's why we're in this position. And that's why I have my own little homeschooling program, uh, the Ron Paul curriculum. And it's devised not to be a, a narrow, I don't promote any narrow uh, religious viewpoint. I present the case for liberty, you know, uh, looking at history and looking at uh, sound economics and then trying to preserve an economy or, you know, a society where homeschooling is perfectly legal. And if somebody wants to have a homeschooling program that may be very biased in the direction uh, of a, a religious belief, I mean, you could have like Catholic homeschooling and Protestant homeschoolings or, or whatever mm -hmm. you wanted. Uh, but what I want to do is keep it free, keep it so you can get there because homeschooling has been under the attack. And uh, right now, if it gets, it's growing like leaps and bounds to fill the, the, uh, the vacuum out there. But I think that means you better be aware that that's when the government comes in and say no more. Uh, matter of fact, some of the proposals right now from the far left is that, uh, yes, we're going to do that, but they don't even want to, they want to abolish charter schools. We don't even want any competition. And that's still, you know, just an improvement on the average government school. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, I, I think we have to be pleased with the way it's going. And I think people should uh, work uh, for private schooling of some sort, but uh, also be on the alert for uh, the government coming in and cracking down because psychologically and also, uh, you know, philosophically, uh, we are a challenge. We are the real threat to the authoritarians. And that is that is something that, that they can't stand. I saw something on the internet today that uh, there was a proposal, I think it was in Illinois, that uh, he was a state rep. He says, We're, we should close down uh, all history courses. We should burn all the history books and we will replace it with something else. And when we and we'll work on that and decide what you're going to get. But right now, no history that you can learn in, in the school. Well, you know, if the, if the government schools did quit that, it would be the end. But you know what's coming is they want to, you know, destroy history and, and burn books. This is terrible. As you uh, already know, I'm sure, Dr. Paul, you know, it's it's uh, the government schools are unlikely to teach things contrary to the government's point of view. And so even when they have taught history, uh, you know, for example, the Federalist Papers are widely read uh, in high school. But what about the Anti-Federalist Papers and the, the counter-narrative? Just as one example, it's super interesting to see how narrow it becomes. You mentioned uh, the Ron Paul curriculum. We will also link to that in the show notes page. It's just ronpaulcurriculum.com, but that's a big word. And so if you want to just click through, 
um, head to the show notes page. I want to ask a related question. You brought up your presidential campaigns, plural, and uh, what was very interesting to me, and you commented on it many times, was um, the fact that so many young people, uh, here you are, you were kind of, you know, uh, older in years than a lot of your supporters, and, and yet you had a lot of these young people following. So our audience here obviously is on the younger side. Um, to what do you attribute that, uh, that trend or, or that happenstance where a lot of these young people were very interested in the message that you were sharing? First thing is, I think young people uh, have minds that aren't so clouded, and they're still more open-minded. And uh, <clears throat> and I think young people are more attracted to consistency. It seems like they're always looking for consistency, even if it's outside of politics or whatever. They want consistency from their parents. Uh, they're not as judgmental of knowing exactly what, but kids that are uh, being raised in a family that's totally inconsistent on discipline and rules and regulation, very, very hard to, to raise kids that way. So I think they liked the idea that there was a discipline, that I was consistent. And a lot of people so often would say, Ron, I, I, you know, and there would be Democrats and independents and all these. Ron, I, I don't agree with all your stuff, but I know where you stand and you're consistent and I like what you're saying and they will become supporters because they're starved for it. And young people, I think, are open for that. They want the guidance. And right now, just think of how confused so many kids would be about what's going on with coronavirus. And what if they wake up and find out that the lockdown wasn't necessary? Wow. They're going to say, why did that happen? You know, they're going to be very interested in trying to figure out. And right now, skepticism about what we've done in the last six months is growing because it was a failure. It wasn't the right thing to do at the right time. So I think uh, I think young people sort that out a little bit easier. Yeah, but by the time they get out of college and then run for Congress, they are so biased by bad economic policies and they've been they, they have been, and <clears throat> I was making fun of the person that wants to burn those history books, but there are some there that don't deserve much attention. Same way with all the economic textbooks, uh, you know, and socialism and Marxism and all these things. You don't gain anything by saying we're going to prohibit it or we're going to burn books, but to counteract it with the right thinking and the right principles and the morality that we ought to be following. You know, Dr. Paul, I know Connor and I personally view you as, you know, our hero and, and you've made a lasting impact on both of our life, lives. But I was curious what you think is your one greatest legacy that you're that, you know, that you'll, you've left behind for this earth. What is the, the thing that you're most proud of during your career? Well, you know, <clears throat> people ask that question in varied ways. And um, I, I don't. Um, it's not when I, oh, okay, I'll tell you this, ABC, I got rid of the Federal Reserve or something like that. I don't have that because I think it's a question that um, I'm not going to answer. Somebody else is going to have to answer it, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, I might be, uh, I might not be objective enough, but I have been pleased, you know, with some things and I have been pleased. And actually, as a matter of fact, you were brought up the subject of young people liking what I was Did saying. I think out? I was Are pleased pretty much by that. And that means I was able to take some issues happened. that were a bit complicated, one, two, the war and peace and monetary policy and make it so young people, if they oh, liked no. it, uh, that meant they understood it. And so I've, I felt that, uh, 
that I was given some ability to take some of these complicated issues and turn it into something more clear cut. And, uh, but what actually I ever accomplished and did, somebody else can play that game. Dr. Paul, what message, final message would you share with the kids who are listening to this podcast? Well, the one thing that I think that we need, and uh, if anybody wants to participate in trying to change the world for a better place, they have to be curious. Curious about how the world works and what is right and wrong and what is good economics and what is a good foreign policy and what is it based on? What is the role of government? But curious enough to ask the questions and then seek the truth because none of us has a monopoly on, on the on the truth. But uh, one of the basic things that people should ask, and I think this would uh, open up the door for all these questions, is uh, what should the role of government be? And that's what has been uh, you know around for thousands of years. What should should the government be big, authoritarian, or voluntary, or whatever. What should the role of government be? Fortunately, our founders designed a system where the role of government should be there to protect liberty. And yet we have drifted a long way from that, and we have to ask that question again, and uh, then we have to find a generation, which you're helping to build, uh, is to what is the role of government, and what should it be in a free society? We would solve a lot of our problems if they would come up and say, what we need to do is preserve the cause of liberty and promote the principles of non-aggression. And believe me, the world would be a better place to live. Beautifully said. And I know Connor and I are both so glad to have you on today. It has been an honor and a pleasure as always. So Dr. Paul, thank you so much for being here and for speaking with us. Great to be with you, Brittany and Connor. Well, that was so exciting. I hope our listeners enjoyed that as much as I know Connor and I did. Uh, I Honestly, I'm on cloud nine right now. How do you feel, Connor? No, he's he's definitely someone to look up to and admire. What I think I most appreciate about Dr. Paul is is something he said, is the consistency of his message. You know, he's someone that didn't change when different political parties were in power or over time or whatever. He quickly learned the truth at a younger age and stuck to it, even when it was unpopular, even when he was booed on a big stage on television. Uh, So check out that show notes page. You can see some of the material. We'll link to the Ron Paul curriculum as well. Uh, Maybe even some of his books on Amazon that would be uh, worth checking out with your family if you want to learn more from Dr. Paul's words and some of those truths that he has learned and shared along the way. Uh, So head to TuttleTwins.com slash podcast. Make sure you subscribe, share with your friends, And uh, Brittany, until next time, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. You've been listening to The Way the World Works. Make sure your family is subscribed and check out TuttleTwins.com for more awesome content.